Good morning. It's always a joy to be gathered here with God's people in worship together. The past several weeks, we have been going through this series called Die and Rise. And this is the last Sunday on that series before we kind of move on to take a little bit of a break and return to the lectionary. And then once we get kind of deeper into the summer, we'll be taking a look at the book of Romans during July and August. But for one more day... Uh, We are uh, in this series called Die and Rise, taking a look at these different accounts where the dead are raised, where those who have died are are miraculously brought back to life. Now, there's one thing, if if you take a look at all of these accounts of the dead being raised, uh, there there is something that the resurrection of Jesus is, is slightly different from all these other accounts. Uh, that, that Jesus, as you look into many of Paul's letters, is often referred to as the firstborn from the dead, which maybe seems odd because there are plenty who, who were raised from the dead before Jesus. But, but you'll notice that there is something unique about Jesus' own resurrection when compared to these other accounts, and that is that Jesus is raised from the dead Never to die again. Right? All all of these other stories that that we've taken a look at, yes, they've raised from the dead. Yes, they have been resuscitated and and brought back to life. But even these will return to the grave. Right? You think of of the the young men that that Elisha and Elijah raised from the dead. They returned to the grave. Lazarus returned to the grave. Tabitha returned to the grave. But Jesus is never to return to the grave. And so what we see in Jesus stands apart and stands unique from all of these other accounts. But regardless, as we look at these accounts, we we see something rather strange, something that confronts us as, as a little bit odd, Because these accounts of of resurrection, these these accounts of of the dead being resuscitated and raised, they they sort of violate the way our our world normally works, don't they? We have a a pretty common system and and sort of order that life goes. You're born, you grow up, you pay some taxes, and and you die. (laughs) And that's kind of just the, the pattern that, that life follows, but when we see these accounts in Scripture, they're, they're rather hard to believe. Because that just doesn't happen, right? The dead stay dead. And so when we see these accounts of resurrection, they really always, they meet us as, as a disruption of how life is supposed to go. You're born, you die, you grow up, you pay some tax, or sorry, out of order, pay taxes before you die. But you don't come back from the dead. Resurrection is, is a disruption. And if you're like me, you rather loathe disruption in life. I know that I am, I am one who, who I hate 
when things disrupt my daily schedule. And it's not because I'm a particularly organized person. It's mostly just because I'm a rather inflexible person. Uh, I, I don't like when I, when I have a set idea of how my day is going to go, when things sort of enter in and kind of disrupt that schedule. I mean, even if my plan is I'm going to do nothing all day, I don't like when things disrupt that. I planned on doing nothing. And like I said, it's largely because I'm inflexible. Not super organized, just just inflexible. And I think most of us, we we despise disruption. Not just because it it sort of throws us off our schedule, but but disruption really in any form has this way of sort of challenging our assumptions. It it forces us to to step back and, and recalculate uh, to reconsider how, how we view reality. I mean, if you look at, at the most pivotal moments in history, most of them are examples of disruption, of changing the way and, and the course of, of how things were going. You think, for example, back to the Reformation era, where we sort of trace our heritage as a church from, one of the major things that took place in the midst of that wasn't so much a theological thing, but was a technological thing. The printing press. And with Gutenberg's printing press, the way that communication was transmitted changed entirely. It was a disruption in history. And without that disruption in history, the Reformation never would have taken place the way it did information wouldn't have been able to move as quickly as it did. It was a disruption. Or you think of of even in our own nation's history, things like Pearl Harbor, things like 9-11, these things, they entered in and they disrupted how we normally saw life and they challenged our feelings of, of safety and security. A disruption, not only does it change the course of things, disruption also has this way of, of unsettling us. So much so that most of us, when, when we're disrupted from, from minor disruptions in our schedule to major disruptions in history, we, we find ourselves pushing back, not wanting these things to enter into our life. And perhaps this is the reason that Jesus, no matter how much time changes and, and culture changes, Jesus continually meets us as as both an intriguing and and challenging character. Because Jesus at his very core disrupts how we view life. Whether we're insistent on on obedience, insistence on, on our own works and righteousness, Jesus comes and he disrupts that view of the world, that view of ourselves. Or whether we're bent on lawlessness and and doing whatever we please, Jesus comes to us and he disrupts that view of ourselves. Why was Jesus so disruptive in his day? Why why was he rejected by the religious leaders and the authorities? It's because he challenged their assumptions. He challenged the way that they were to do things. And from his birth to the empty tomb, Jesus continually disrupts our world. He disrupts our lives. 
And, and as soon as we think we've sort of fit Jesus in a box and got him straight, we've probably missed him altogether. Because no matter how long we have known him, Jesus will continue to disrupt our lives, continue to challenge us, cause us to to recalculate and and reassess the way we view the world around us. And and in our gospel lesson this morning, we, we see this way that Jesus, even on the cross, disrupts the world. It was a rather short reading, so so I'll just take a look at it again very quickly in in case you maybe missed it. Matthew 27, verse 50. It says, as Jesus is on the cross, Matthew writes, And Jesus cried out again, and with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. So here Matthew says that, that as Jesus has been in this agonizing, torturous Sentenced to death, he finally reaches his end, yields up his spirit, and dies. And in this moment, Matthew says, verse 51, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook and rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the city, and appeared to many. Now now this scene at the death of Jesus is is rather strange and and rather odd. And and you see throughout the gospel accounts even even additional things added, right? The the sky going black during Jesus' death. But as strange as, as they meet us, we need to keep in mind that the gospels, they're not written to us in, in the 21st century. Initially, they're written to first century Jewish people. And first century Jewish people, and even first century Greeks and Romans, this is precisely what they would have expected. That that at the death of any righteous person, that there would have been signs and wonders accompanying this death. If you look throughout Jewish literature, there's a great deal of of accounts of, of all of these miraculous signs, things like the sky going black and earthquakes at the death of righteous men. And so as Matthew speaks of these signs, he is making this statement that Jesus was a righteous man. Not a mere blasphemer or criminal as he was said to be by those who put him to death. But these signs, they, they say something more than just Jesus was a righteous man. These specific signs that, that Matthew notes here, they, they talk about what Jesus was, what Jesus actually came to do. We, we see that first one where Matthew says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, now as you, you may know, that, that this curtain in the temple was the curtain that divided the holy place in the temple from the most holy place, or, or the holy of holies. And, and the holy of holies was the place where the Ark of the Covenant that God had commanded Moses and Israel to build as his dwelling place in the tabernacle, that would lie there in the holy of holies. And as you also may know, that there was only one day in the year that the priest or the high priest was supposed to enter into the holy of holies. Only one, one time a year that the priest could go in and stand in the presence of God. 
was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And it was on that day that the priest was given very strict requirements and guidelines for how he was supposed to go in and offer sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. Sacrifices to make payment for the wrongdoing of the people of Israel. And as that curtain is torn in two, Matthew notes that the death of Jesus has entirely disrupted this system. That that no more do sacrifices need to be offered for sins because there on the cross, that once for all sacrifice is offered. That the righteous requirement of God has been fulfilled. No more slaying bulls and goats. No more offerings for the sins of the people. Because God Himself has offered the sacrifice. His own Son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, the second sign that that Matthew notes here should actually flow quite naturally for us. He notes that, that the earth shook and rocks were split. And as this happens, tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. That no longer... Because this sacrifice has been offered, no longer is creation subject to the reign and curse of death. That now the dead will rise. Now the one who is victorious over death has saved the world. Jesus here is making this statement. That on his cross, he is actually victorious. Strangely and mysteriously, his offering of himself, his submission to death is actually what defeats death. Here, Jesus is is disrupting the, the religious system of his people. And no longer does Israel need to stand before God in fear. But because of Jesus, we can all stand before God, certain that He sees us as righteous because His blood has been shed for us. No longer do we have to live in fear of death and wondering if we have ever done enough because we are promised that just as the tombs of those holy ones were opened, so too our tombs will be opened. The resurrection or the death of Jesus The death and resurrection of Jesus functions for us as a disruption in the way that the world works. It it upends our our, our normal ways of doing things. It it upends our our typical religious systems and and what we would expect. You, You see, as I think of the work of Christ on the cross, as I think of what he has offered there for us. I'm reminded the gift that that actually I I was reminded as I looked up on the screen and saw baptismal anniversaries that I saw my own name and and actually remembered that it was actually this very day in 1989 that I was baptized. 
at Trinity Lutheran Church in Waconia, Minnesota. And as we look ahead then to our epistle reading this morning, the promise that Paul speaks there is that in baptism, what Christ has done on the cross has actually been applied to you and to me. This is what Paul says in in Colossians chapter 2. He says, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all. In other words, that gift of water and the word joins you to the work of Christ. You who are dead in your trespasses are now pronounced alive because of what God has done. Because God has made us alive together with Jesus. That no longer do you have to fear this debt before God. Because that debt has been paid not with gold or silver, as Luther says in the small catechism, but with his holy, precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death. All of it's been set aside, nailing it to the cross, and that this Jesus has disarmed the rulers, disarmed the authorities, disarmed Satan, the accuser, and he's put him to shame. He's triumphed over him. On the cross and in his resurrection, Jesus has disrupted the reign of Satan, the reign of sin, the reign of death. And he has rightfully taken his throne as ruler and Lord over all creation. And in baptism, you're given the promise that you belong to this Jesus. That you have died and risen with him. Consider the ways that that this disrupts the way the world works. Uh, This weekend, uh, our nation celebrates Memorial Day. And and while Memorial Day is is a reminder of, of the sacrifice that many have made so that we can live in freedom... The truth of the matter is, is is Memorial Day is also a reminder of the way the world still works. That power in the world is still worked out through violence and death. And on the cross, Jesus disrupts this system entirely. And he disarms the power of violence and death by submitting himself to it and rising victorious over it. Jesus sets up his kingdom not by laying waste to the nations, but by dying on their behalf. Or or consider the ways that this upends the way our, our world normally views religion. But typically when people think of, of religion, 
They, they think of a, of a system, of, of a religion of law, of, of if you do the right things, if you stock up the right amount of good works or right worship or, or religious devotion, then you'll be seen as righteous, then you'll be seen as holy. And, and the unfortunate reality is that sort of system of religion is always exhausting and always terrifying because it always leaves us wondering, have I done enough? Have I stored up enough? Have I said the right prayers and and said them in the right way? But because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, our religion need not be a religion of law, but rather a religion where we can honestly confess that we have no goodness in ourselves, that we have no righteousness in our own. But instead, what we receive is the very goodness and righteousness of God given to us. And so then the devotion that we observe, the obedience that we deserve, is not one to earn God's favor, but rather a joyfully following the path of the one who has given us life. Or consider the way that this transforms the way that we view our work. That that work for us in the church is not the end-all, be-all. It is not the place that we find our meaning and our worth. Because apart from Jesus, that's what it will always be. We'll always be defined by our success, by our net worth, by the car that we drive and the clothes that we wear and the house that we live in. Or, or, or we'll be defined by how successful kids of kids we raise. But instead, for us, as people who have been freed by the gospel of Jesus, our work is entirely different. It is not the place that we find meaning or worth. Rather, it is the place, the place that we are given and placed in by God to serve Him and love our neighbor. That our children and our families are not trophies for the world to behold but precious gifts from God. People for us to love. People for us to share Christ with. The gospel of Jesus, the cross and the resurrection, they entirely disrupt the way that our world does things. And they cause us to instead submit everything to Jesus. Not not submitting to those who exercise and and wield power and violence and death. Not to submit to to the labor of our hands. Not to submit to to oppressive religious dogma that, that says do more, try harder, produce, 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 but rather submit to our loving King Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for us. In Jesus, our entire world, our entire lives have been and are continually disrupted. And it's at his cross that we actually see a foretaste, a, a picture of what we are promised. Because just like those holy ones who are, who are raised at the death of Jesus, we are promised 
that our graves will be opened. That our bodies will rise. Only we're promised something even greater than this picture because our bodies will rise in the same way that Jesus rose. Never to die again. So like those those ones who were raised at the death of Jesus, do the same thing they did after the resurrection. Go into the city. Go into the places that God has put you and called you to. Go, Go to serve him. Go to make his name holy. Go to declare that mystery of our faith that says that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And when he does, he is going to raise us up with him. In Jesus, the system of this world has been disrupted. In the name of Jesus and and by the power of his spirit, may you go... And may you take place in his work of disruption. Amen.